when I was in high school, I never played football. I was way too skinny, and I would have been broken half. Um, I decided to quit playing baseball before I made it to high school, and so for some reason, I decided to get on the swim team. And uh, you know, at the swim team, you don't get to run through the the crowd and and out there. There's a few people that come to swim meets. Uh, comparably to football, and as y'all were singing this song, all I could think about was Friday night, like, standing, like, in the locker room, ready to go, like, getting so excited about just going forth, and this, like, is my first time that I get to, like, run through the, the, the thing, and because I, I, I'm telling y'all, this is what, as I was sitting here just thinking about that song, I began to, to just, the Lord, I, I believe, just put a vision in my mind of the day that Jesus was crucified, and then three days later, as the, the ground literally begins to shake, right? I mean, I don't know about y'all, but praise God, it started to shake, and, and the stone, like, didn't have power over our God, and it starts to roll away, and this is what I can imagine in this moment. I had no, uh, I, this literally just happened, I wasn't planning on speaking this, but this is what I can see, is the evil one, Satan, sitting there like, hey, you know, he's, he's dead, we're good, we're good, and then the ground starts shaking, and he's like, uh-oh. Um, something, something's wrong. Um, the stone starts rolling away, and all I can see is him saying, okay, we're in trouble. And let me tell y'all something. We need to rejoice, because here's the thing. Our God did walk out of the grave, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and it is finished. And I tell you, I, I am like, I'm like so excited. Like, I just want to like, jump up and down, but y'all would probably think I was crazy. Y'all probably already think that. But I'm sitting here and I'm just like, Lord, like, we worship an unrivaled God. We worship a God that death could not defeat him. And Satan has been rendered powerless. Like, in that moment, the ground's shaking, the tomb is is opening, and, and Jesus is coming forth in all of his glory. And he's sitting here saying, I'm done. It's over. Like, it's finished. I, I can't do anything anymore. And it even says in Hebrews chapter 2, which this is later in my message, so this is not good for a pastor to be saying what's later in the message at the beginning. But in Hebrews chapter 2, it says that he's been rendered powerless. And in that moment, as everything's taking place and Jesus comes out in all of his glory, I'm telling you, he's been rendered powerless. And some of us are sitting here today and we're struggling. We're fighting through stuff in our life. Maybe it's our past. And, and yes, there's consequences of your past. And maybe you're fighting with, with things that, that have happened in your past. And, and Satan just continues to, to be the accuser of the brother. And he continues to tell you, you're no good. You're worthless. You won't amount to anything. I'm telling you, Romans says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we need to rejoice that Jesus has rendered him powerless. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. When Satan comes after you and shares with you about your past and tells you how big of a failure and unworthy you are, you point to Jesus and remind him of his future. Because the book of Revelation says there's coming a day that he's going to be locked up forever. Because Jesus overcame. I don't know about y'all, I'm fired up. <laughs> I'm so excited. Brother, I thank you for singing that song. That's one of my favorite songs. I, I, I tell you, it is just the gospel right there. I have to start like I always start in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Uh, I just want to just share this with you, and then we're going to pray and, and get going this morning. 
It says that my message and my preaching are not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. Today, I feel like the Lord is leading me in a very simplistic message, a very easy message, but might be very hard for us, or it might be hard for us to really place this into our hearts, because it's something that's probably been taught to you over and over and over, especially those who have uh, been a believer in Christ for several years. But today, we're going to talk about the lost art of sanctification. And so we're going to walk through a big word called sanctification, But please, please, let it be Christ. Let Christ come and and, and infiltrate your heart and your mind, not me. It has nothing to do with me. Believe me, the, the, the ground shaking and Jesus walking out was all the king. And I give him all glory, honor, and praise. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer as we get started this morning. Lord, we are so thankful for who you are. Lord, we are so thankful for the blood of the Lamb. God, we get just so excited just talking about what you've done in our lives the fact that you brought us from death to life. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody in this room who's sitting there saying, who is this guy up here getting excited about this man named Jesus? I pray that today will be the day of salvation. I pray you'll open their eyes to see who the king, the sovereign Lord of lords, the reigning king of kings is. Lord, for those who are believers in this place, I pray that they will hear the presence of the Holy Spirit speak to them and that they will place this into their life. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we give you the glory, for it's in your name. Amen. When you talk about sanctification, it's just really a long, big word for growth. It's really just a word that talks about, um, and for me, I tell people sanctification is the removal of self. It's the removal of flesh. And here's the thing. We have salvation, right? Salvation is at the point where your eyes are open and you come to the understanding of who God is. And at that point, you lay your life down. To me, it's the most humble place you'll ever be in your life is the point of salvation. Blessed are those um, who are poor in spirit. By the way, poor in spirit means humble. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, humble, for they what? What does it say after that? They will what? They will inherit the kingdom of God. What happens at salvation? It says in Ephesians, it says that you are, have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. So at the, salvation is at the point of complete humility in your life. You say, it's no longer me, it's God. I lay my life down before the throne. And so I want to take just a moment. After salvation is what we call sanctification, which is the growth process. It's the flesh and the spirit battling it out in your life. And you removing flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we have what we call glorification, which is when we get to see Jesus. And we stand before the throne. And at that point... Um, for the first time, we will be uh, completely in, in the, the, the point of glorification. And what I mean by that is that at, at that point, um, we will be made perfect, right? And so this process of sanctification is, we've got to talk about the growth process that takes place. Now, here's what I want you to see before we even get going. Sanctification happens after salvation, If you try to create sanctification before salvation, then you're simply creating behavior modification. Behavior modification is not what we're looking for. What we want is soul transformation. Okay? So sanctification happens after salvation. If we sit there and try to take somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, their eyes have not been opened, and we're trying to teach them and, 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 and train them up in righteousness, but they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit in their life, then you're telling me that somebody can become 
uh, holy, somebody can, can get to the point of losing self on their own. And I don't believe that takes place. If we look at the scripture, it talks about walking in the spirit, not in the flesh. The only way you can walk in the spirit is by having the spirit dwell in you. And so my prayer today is first and foremost is that we'll understand this, is that we want to see not behavior modification, but we want to see soul transformation. So my question to you is this, make sure you're not pushing rules on somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Let's love them, share the gospel, speak truth. That doesn't mean you don't tell them the truth, but you've got to understand that until they have Christ dwelling in their heart, they're not going to understand why you're doing what you're doing, why you're saying no to what you say no to, why you're emptying of self. Now I want you to take a moment and I want you to think back to the day that the Lord opened your eyes. I want you to go back to the day of your spiritual birthday. So just think for just a minute. Two, three weeks ago when, when we had several uh, Theodore students here, I remember Coach Collier speaking to some of the students uh, afterwards. He said, guys, this is your spiritual birthday. Today is the day that you have been reborn in Christ. It's your spiritual birthday. I want you to think just for a moment about your spiritual birthday, the day that Jesus Christ came into your life. Think back on it for a second. For me, I was driving on, well, I wasn't driving, I was young. My mother was driving. Uh, we were on I-10, connected on I-65, is what I consider the crossroads of my life. Literally, we were connecting from I-10 to I-65. And I remember in that moment praying and asking the Lord to come into my life and receive Him as my Lord and Savior. And the Lord transformed my life at that point. Now, it's been a journey, sanctification. Now, here's what I want you to see. In James chapter 1... And I've shared this with you all several, several times, and I've got to start here today. But in James chapter 1, we see James start this book by saying, hey, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is writing um, here, and he starts off by simply saying, a bondservant of Christ. And I want to start here because to me, the word Christian has been so watered down in our culture. Everybody calls themselves a Christian because in America... You gain something, especially in the Bible Belt, by calling yourself a Christian. Now, according to the Bible, it says that when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior and salvation takes place in your life, it says you lose your life, but you gain it, right, in Christ. But see, the culture has kind of twisted it a little bit and said, well, you know, if you do this, then you'll have the prosperity. And if you call yourself a Christian here, then you'll get uh, more people to like you over here or this or that. And so for me, I want to go to this very interesting word here where it says bondservant of God. Because see, James had two things he could have called himself. One, he could have called himself an apostle. And two, he could have also called himself the half-brother of Jesus. Now, I don't know about y'all, but if I'm writing a book and I want people to listen to me, I don't know if I would have said bondservant. I probably would, if I had the credentials of the half-brother of Jesus, I probably would have said, hey, I'm James, half-brother of Jesus. I mean, that probably would sell a few more books, don't you think? That would probably give a little bit more credibility to him so in our mindset, in our cultural view. But he says, no, I'm not going to use that I'm a half-brother of Jesus. And I call him the half-brother because obviously we know that Joseph um, was not necessarily part of, of, of this. And so... The half-brother of Jesus, I'm not going to use that. I'm going to call myself a bondservant of Christ. Now, the understanding of a bondservant, I'm going to go as quick as can because I know that I've talked about this and taught on this before. But the bondservant of Christ is very important because a bondservant was somebody who had fulfilled their requirements as a servant. 
And after they had fulfilled their requirements, then at that point, they would choose to say, hey, I want to be a bondservant. I want to go and serve you for the rest of my life. Even though my freedom is here, I could go, but I want to serve you. And so they would go in that time, and they would place a marking on the person to be a bondservant. And so my question to you is this. The reason they placed a marking is so when somebody was walking, they would know they were a bondservant. Let me ask you this question. You can call yourself a Christian all day long and not look like Christ. Do people see Christ in your life as you're walking down the street because your life is so different because you're a bondservant? Not only that, but if somebody were to give their life, give their freedom to serve a master, then you would have to say they have a pretty good master, don't you think? If you said, why in the world would that person give their freedom to be a servant of a master, you would say they must have a pretty good master. So let me ask you this question. Do people see the goodness of your father in your life? Do people see that you serve and love a good, good father? An Abba. But then here's the thing that I really want to hit home here for this, to start this morning. And that's this. A bondservant would have had to come to the understanding in their mind that being a servant of the master was much better than any life they could give on their own. For them to become a bondservant, they would have had to have said that for me, it is better for me to be a servant under this master than for me to go out and try to do life on my own. That's why I like to call myself a bondservant and not a Christian. Now, I am a Christian, but the reason I like to call myself a bondservant of Christ is because for me, my life as a servant under my master, which is God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is so much better than any life that I could ever give on my own. Now, you know how I know that? It's because I've become a man of the text. And I've studied the attributes of Jesus. And I've studied who God is. And I've studied what He did for the nation of Israel and how much He loved them. And I've studied Scripture about how the agape love is what brought Him out of the grave because nothing could hold Him back because of His love for us. And if He loves me that much, then I'm going to serve Him with my life because me as a servant of my Master is much better than anything I could give to myself or to my family. We have to get to that point. When we get to that point, sanctification is not such a, a tough, difficult road to walk down. But if you don't believe that God can give you the best life, and I'm not talking about prosperity, I'm not talking about uh, easy going, it could include suffering, it could include pain, it could include all these different things, but until you trust God that He has your best interest in mind, then sanctification is going to be difficult because you're always going to be fighting whether, well, do I trust God or do I try to go do it on my own? I can tell you something, I've tried to do it on my own so many times. And every time it's led me to so much pain and remorse and regret. Jeremiah 29, 11, many people know this scripture and we have to get to the point that we truly believe it. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. But then you've got to keep going. Verse 12 says this, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Look at verse 13, this is huge. He says, you will seek and find me 
when you search for me with your whole heart. See, we like Jeremiah 29, 11. Well, we love Jeremiah 29, 11. But two verses later, it says, you must search and seek for me with your whole heart. You know how you seek God with your whole heart? You get to the point that you trust him, that his, pl- his ways and his plans are perfect. That you trust him when you're going through suffering and pain and hurts and sorrows and the world's not adding up to everything you want it to add up to. You say, hey, I trust you. When you've prayed for healing for three, four, five years and you continue to say, God, I trust you in what I'm going through. That's seeking God with your whole heart. And we have to get to the point. For sanctification to happen, we have to get to the point that we trust God with our life, with our plans, our futures. And then we say, God, let your ways be my ways. God, let your desires be my desires. God, I pray that you will change me to be more and more like you. You know, and several people have joked with me um, about wearing a suit and different things. And, and uh, this suit doesn't really fit. When I put it on this morning... I told the Lord I felt like David in going against Goliath with Saul's armor on because it was so, so big. And I don't know if it's a good thing it doesn't fit or if it's just that I need to get a new suit. But, you know, I pray. I pray that I don't look more and more like a, like a preacher. I pray I look more and more like Jesus. And I pray that each of us are the same way because that's what sanctification is. It's the removal of of self, by walking in the Spirit, Christ removes it so that we look more and more like Him. So I want to go to a couple of scriptures, and, and just bear with me, we're going we're gonna to run through some scriptures here today. Uh, I've learned that if I give you the scripture, it won't come back void. If I give you just my thoughts, it will. Uh, so we're going to run through some scripture. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, 22 through 24, it says this. Excuse me, let's go back to verse 20. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to the former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupt in accordance with the lust of deceit, and you be renewed in the new self, or in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which is in likeness of God, and has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. We are to take away the, the old self. We are to remove it. A, a painful process of removing flesh. It says that we crucify the flesh. I don't know about y'all, but crucifixion looks pretty painful. Whenever I even sit there and try to think about what Jesus went through on the cross, I cannot stop but weeping. And Jesus says, hey, crucify the flesh. Jesus says, remove the old self. Put on the new self. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, some of my favorite passages since I I like to run. I don't know why, but I like to run. It says, your race uh, basically has begun, so remove aside, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. This is sanctification. Hey, when you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and you became a bond servant, let's call each other bond servants, okay? Is that okay? Can we do that? When you called yourself, when you became a bond servant of Christ, your race began. I don't know what you showed up in on that day. You might have had jeans and a t-shirt. I hope you're now in running clothes. But it says, hey, your race has begun, so remove the sins that entangle you. This is sanctification. This is the growth process. This is pulling aside the things in our life 
that are of the old self. Romans 8, 12 through 13. Says this. So then, brethren, we are under no obligation to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if the Spirit, you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Sanctification. And then the scripture that many of us know, Galatians chapter 5, before you get to the fruit of the Spirit, and by the way, it is a fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. When you get there, Galatians 5 says in verse 16, it says, walk in the Spirit, but I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Can you do me a favor if you feel comfortable underlining your Bible? And by the way, I, my Bible is all marked up. Underline will not. Let me tell you why. We know that we must remove flesh, and it's painful. Hebrews says in chapter 12, it says, that discipline is painful for a short time, but it yields the fruit of righteousness. We understand that removing the flesh is painful. I don't know about y'all, but I've never really had flesh pulled off of me, but that would probably be pretty painful. Maybe as a kid, when you skinned your knee and you lost some of your flesh, I mean, you're, it's hurting, it's painful. But why is it painful? Because we have to get to the point of humility. We have to lay our life down, and we have to say, God, we trust you, but yet it yields the fruit of righteousness. The reason I want you to underline you will not carry out the desires of your flesh is because there's a few lies that the evil one likes to come after you about sanctification. One of which is is that you'll never be good enough. You'll never be able to overcome the situation that's in your life. I've heard people say, I need to change, David. But the reality is this. Can I just tell you, when you use the word but after saying I need to change, you have now belittled the power of the Holy Spirit. When you say, hey, but my reality is this, this is what I'm going through. You're now saying your, your situation, your struggle, your flesh is stronger than the power of the Holy Spirit. Now that seems almost ridiculous to say, but yet we digest that into our hearts and minds because the evil one shoots a fiery dart at us and because we don't have the shield of faith and we haven't been a man or woman of the text studying the word of God, we allow it to sink into our hearts and then we begin to believe that we can't overcome it. You want to walk through the process of sanctification of removing flesh? You must become a man or woman of the text so that you can defeat the evil one when he lies to you. I said at the very beginning, I told you I, you shouldn't say stuff at the beginning that you're going to say in the middle, but hey, I did. Hey, I told you at the very beginning, Satan has been rendered powerless. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says this, Therefore, since the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise also took part of the same, that through the death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, and that is the devil. Hey, when, when you're sitting there, and you're, you're walking through life and you're, you're trusting the Lord and all of a sudden temptation comes and, and you're saying, man, this is just a stronghold, so I just it's going to be okay. I'll just go on and walk through it. Uh, and, and, and you're going and you're saying, well, this is just too big for me to, to, to handle and all this stuff. You need to flip open to Hebrews chapter 2 and you need to say to the evil one, hey, listen, you ain't got no authority because it's been rendered powerless to you. Oh, by the way, let me tell you about your future. You're going you're gonna to remind me of all the stuff that's going on. Let me tell you about what's going to happen to you. Let me read to you Revelation. Let me read to you Hebrews chapter 2. Listen, we must come against the evil one by the power of the name of Jesus Christ and the word of God. 
But if you don't know the word of God, how will you ever come against him? How will you stand? Sanctification. Being a man and woman of the text. Another lie that we have is I'm just too busy, David. I just go on throughout life and I don't even realize that I, I, wasn't, that I was not focusing on, on the king. And my question to you is this, is what is the priorities in your life? Jesus said that he rose early in the morning to pray and to seek the Father. I'm not saying you have to rise early in the morning because I don't really know anything before six. Uh, so I used to not know anything before seven until we had a kid. Um, y'all understand that. But here's the thing. Our priority has to be so focused in on the king. This is a moment by moment, second by second. This is not just a week by week. It's not a Sunday to Sunday. It's every moment, every day, being led by the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 1, 20-23, it says that all authority is under the foot of Jesus. So when the evil one lies to you, whether saying it's just you can't do it, you can't handle it, you'll never be good enough, you'll never make it, you'll never get over this stuff. We need to go to Ephesians, we need to go to Hebrews, both of those. Hebrews says that he's been rendered powerless. Ephesians says that all authority is under the foot of Jesus. So you say, okay, David, I understand. I need to grow. I need to remove flesh. I understand that there's lies out there that are prohibiting me from doing that. First thing you need to do is go to the Word, trust the Word to defeat these lies in your life. Now, how do you put to death the flesh? This is where the kind of the, the rubber meets the road, the painful part. First, as I said earlier, you must become a man or woman of the text. This is the breath of God, as John 1, 1 says. This is the breath of God, the only thing that will bring life. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. This is God's words, as I talked about Wednesday night. This is God speaking to us, and we should be so into this We should be focused in on the Word of God, studying the Word of God, learning the Word of God. Why? So that we know how to stand. So we know who God is and how much He loves us and cares for us. That we know the power of the Holy Spirit. You won't know it. You'll only hear it out of our voices if you don't go study the Word of God. This is life or death in the spiritual walk. You must be a man or woman of the text. And as Brother Ed said so elegantly during the uh, worship time, he, he quoted Colossians 2.8. We must be a man or woman of the text. And Colossians 2.8 talks about not being captivated through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. If you're not a man or woman of the text studying the word of God, then how are you going to know when a false doctrine or false teacher comes and speaks speaks false teachings to you? You'll begin to create false belief systems in your life and you'll begin to stand on false belief systems that will crumble underneath your feet because they're not the word of God. It says many will say, Lord, Lord, on that day. And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. And you say, David, who are those people? They're people who have been followed They followed false teachers and false believers and they put their trust and hope in something other than the blood of Jesus Christ. We must be a man and woman of the text. We must have more passion for this word than we have on Saturdays when our favorite team runs out on the football field. We got to have more passion for this word than anything in our life. 
How do you put to death the flesh? You begin to think on heavenly things. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, one of my favorite verses in Scripture. It says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is anything excellent, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. What are you dwelling on? What are you thinking on? What are you consuming your mind with? Sanctification happens moment in and moment out, every second of every day. Are you focused in on the king or are you focused in on the culture? I shared this with the students not too long ago. I'm going to share it with y'all. But one of the most subliminal messages that you will put into your mind is secular music. And listen, I'm not trying to hate on anybody who sings secular music. I'm not trying to come against any certain person. All I'm saying is, is you don't realize what you're putting in your mind when you listen to some of the things that are on the radio. I was waiting on hold. I listen, I listen to Christian music and I don't watch any movies that are not PG. And the reason I don't say that like, look at me, I say it because I want you to know that I want to protect my mind that when I'm up here, I don't accidentally say some crazy joke from some movie that I should never have watched because I want to be led by the Spirit while I'm up here and not by the things of this world. And as you can see, I don't really go to my notes that often. And so if I watch those things and put those things in my mind, guess what y'all are going to get? Those things. I was telling the students I was on hold waiting for uh, a company that I was trying to talk to about something. And so they put me on hold. And of course, they let you listen to secular music. And the song came on, maybe I shouldn't even say her name, but a song came on called Teenage Dream. Um, If you listen to secular radio, you probably are already singing it in your head. It's a very catchy tune, and I'll never forget it. It said in this song, it said, and listen, it just, like, it's hard for me even to say it, but it said in the song, it says in the chorus, let's go all the way tonight, no regrets, just love. This is secular radio, this is, you know, the the hip-hop, whatever, uh, I mean, great beat, all this stuff. I told my students this, I said, listen, and those who, I mean, for it to be Teenage Dream, that's the name of the song, I believe. And so, here's the thing, if you listen to that over and over and over, guess what? When you find yourself in a compromising situation, if you haven't washed yourself with the word, with the blood of the lamb, guess what's going to come over you in that moment? What you've placed in your mind? what you place in your heart. When you get to that point and you're like, well, how did I even, you know, how did I even get here? And you've indoctrinated your heart and your mind. And here's what I always hear, and it's a lie from the evil one. I always hear it. But David, it won't affect me. I'm sure Eve probably thought the same thing. David, it won't affect me. But then, here's the most interesting part to me. I'm telling you, think on heavenly things. Think on the word of God. Seek the, the, the word of God. Seek it out, seek it out, seek it out. Think on heavenly things. Listen to Christian music because it's good being poured into your mind. And there's some Christian music that, that I can't even like get through my mind. But here's the thing. Listen, when you find yourself in a compromising situation, you've listened to the world over and over, and you end up walking into sin, guess who's not there to comfort you? The world. Isn't that interesting? The world sits there and indoctrinates you to tell you to do all of this. The lady who wrote that song 
is probably sitting there back at her mansion somewhere because of the money that she received from the song being played a hundred overtimes, trying to continue to foster the void in her own life. And you're sitting there in pain and hurt and remorse, and you're like, well, where are you now? Sanctification happens moment by moment. What are you focusing on? What's your mind focused on? It says whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is honorable, whatever is good repute. Think on these things. Think on these things. It also says in Colossians chapter 2 verse 8. No, excuse me, Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 3. It says... Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above. Where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. The things of this earth will indoctrinate you and it will keep you out of the sanctification process because you will begin to build false belief systems. And it will be on a feeling and not on the word of God. So how do you... Put to death the flesh. One, you think on on the king. You think on heavenly things. Two, you become a man or woman of the text. Three, you pray constantly. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. People ask me all the time, how do you do that? I got to go to school. David, how do you do that? I got to go to my job. Am I supposed to go to my job and say I'm praying without ceasing and not do anything but kneel down and pray? Let me tell you something. You can say all day long that they're trying to kick God out of public schools, but they can't. Because, see, God dwells in the hearts of believers. The Holy Spirit dwells in the hearts of believers. And you can have a constant communication with the King 24-7 no matter where you're at. That's what praying without ceasing is. It's a constant communication with the King. It's not, oh, I didn't study for a test. Okay, God, I need wisdom. No, it's not saying that you stayed up all night long doing whatever and then waking up this morning after one hour of sleep and say, okay, God, um, I didn't manage my time right, but I really need you to... I mean, it's about constantly communicating with the king. They can't take God out of public schools. Are you kidding me? Because according to my Bible in the book of Ephesians, Jesus dwells in the hearts of believers. So the only way they can kick God out of public schools is to kick the Christians out of the public schools. Think on heavenly things. Become a man or woman of the text. Pray at all times. Proverbs 27, 17. Find a mentor or accountability. It says iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. Paul, Timothy had Paul. Find somebody who is a man or woman of the text. Seek them out to mentor and to train and to disciple you. That doesn't mean that you're sitting there saying, okay, it's all on you now. I tell people all the time, I mean, obviously because of my profession and where I'm at, I have a lot of people who ask me to disciple and train them, and I tell them all the time. I'll say, listen, I would love to disciple and train you, but first off, you must be teachable. Because if you're not teachable, you're wasting my time and yours. Number two, You have to have a passion and a desire and a drive. It cannot be me just making a phone call. Hey, how's it going? Are you doing okay? Okay, good. It has to be, okay, I need wisdom. I'm going to call. I'm going to ask David to pray for me and seek it. I can't be in every second of, of a person's life. So you say, 
David, how do you find a mentor? Or how do you find an accountability person? You pray. You seek the Lord and you ask Him. You say, God, put on somebody's heart. The guy that mentors me, I'll tell you, that I was sitting at Davison High School when I first got here. I've been praying, God, I need, you know, I'm, I'm obviously moving to Mobile now. Uh, I need somebody to mentor me. I need somebody to come into my life and to be a, a, a driver of that. And so I said, uh, Lord, you just direct me. I was sitting at a school luncheon. And the Lord put on my heart and said, go ask this guy to mentor you. I said, I don't know him. And uh, the Lord said, go ask him to mentor you. And so I did. And uh, he said, I'll pray about it. I got in my car and I said, well, at least he's praying about it. Maybe he's a believer. Um, that's a true story. Come to find out, he's got his master's divinity. He's got his master's in counseling. And I'm telling you, uh, it was a God thing. God knew exactly who I needed. So you ask and you say, David, how do you find somebody to mentor you? You get on your face and you cry out to God. He's a good father. He loves you. He cares for you. He's going to point and direct that. He's going to show you exactly who that person is. And you've got to trust that. You've got to trust it. You say, David, how do I put to death the self? And this is where all of it comes together. First off, we have to understand that sanctification must happen. We must be willing to remove flesh. We must be willing to go through the process. We must say that we're a bondservant of Christ, and so our life as a servant under the Master is so much more valuable than anything we could add to ourselves. You must get to the point that you trust God and allow Him to remove the flesh. And here's the cool part. Galatians says that when you walk in the Spirit, when you walk by the Spirit and let the Spirit of God dwell in you, you will see the fruit of the Spirit. So here's the cool part. When you become a man or woman of the text and the Holy Spirit's washing over you and you pray without ceasing, you're continuing that prayer mindset. And when you get to the point that you're saying, hey, I'm trusting the Lord, I'm seeking the Lord, I'm thinking on heavenly things, the author and the perfecter of my faith, I'm thinking on these things, I'm trusting these things, fruit begins to come forth from your life. See, the sanctification process is removing a flesh, producing a fruit. And in Galatians chapter 5, it talks about those, the fruit of the Spirit. It's in 22, verse 22 and 23. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Let me tell you something right here. It's interesting to me that schools will have, like, I walk into an elementary school and it will say, this month we're focusing on patience. You know what goes through my mind? Good luck. (laughs) Not that patience is difficult, but that you can't have patience unless you're being filled by the Spirit. Because see, it says that it's a fruit. It is the fruit of the Spirit in you. Now you can have a resemblance of patience. You can have a resemblance of all these things, but ultimately it is a fruit of the Spirit. Being filled by the Spirit, these fruits, or this fruit, excuse me, will come forth from your life. And people will see that in your life. And you know what it will do? It will direct them to the King. Because they'll realize that it's only the King who's removing the flesh in your life. It's only the King who's changed your life. And it's the King who's coming forth from your life and bringing about patience, love, joy. Let me tell you something. There's no way that I could love the way that God loves through me. There's no way I could have patience the way that God has patience through me. And this all ties into what I preached on Wednesday night. 
On Wednesday night, we end it by saying, what is our focus? And our focus is 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 16 through 21. And it says that God has given you the word of reconciliation. Because of what Jesus has done and the reconciliation he's done, he's given you the word of reconciliation. And here's the thing, if you're not walking through the sanctification process, if flesh is not being removed from you, and by the way, it's not a legalistic thing, it's not about rules and regulations, it's because Christ has entered your life, and because you're saying that your life under the king as a servant is way more valuable than anything you can add on yourself, at that point, it's not legalism, it's a love of the father, a love of the master, a love of the king, and get this, God's given you the word of reconciliation. So here's where it all ties together. When you go forth and share the word of reconciliation, because of the fruit that comes forth from your life, because of the sanctification process, it points everybody back to the king. If you walk out there and start sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of reconciliation, you have no sanctification in your life. There's no change in your life. Your actions will not allow the word of reconciliation to be verified because there's no change. But when you walk through the process of removing a flesh, being a man or woman of the text, loving the Lord with all of your heart, seeking Him first and Him alone, the fruit of the Spirit comes forth. And because the fruit of the Spirit is of God, it's going to resonate with the word of reconciliation which is of God, and you're going to see lives transformed out in your community. So you say, David, you know, I... I I kind of, like, I really want to start removing a flesh, but it's just my life. I mean, I got saved, and, and, and Jesus saved me. I'm going to heaven, and, and I'm understanding that I'm in misery because I'm not trusting the Lord with my life and everything. It's just my life. No, it's everybody who comes in contact with you is seeing that, it's, that, that, that you're living a powerless life. It's hindering every person that comes in contact with you that you call yourself a believer, a Christian, but yet there's no change in your life. This is why sanctification is so important. This is why growing is so important. It's not that you've made it. It's not that you've gotten to the point of glorification. It's not that you're perfect. But it's that people are seeing Christ removing the flesh and producing the fruit. And it resonates with the word of reconciliation. Body of believers, this is incredibly important. Because our job is to go forth and to share the gospel. It says it in 1 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. Our job is to go share the light of Jesus, the love of Christ. But it's not going to be verified in your life if you're not walking through that process of removing flesh, which is allowing the Holy Spirit to wash over you. And so my question to you today is this. Will you think on heavenly things? Will you become a man or woman of the text? Will you love the text with all your heart? Psalms 119.11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I will not sin against you. Sin is that flesh. Remember the flesh and the spirits fighting? Are you going to pray and seek the Lord and keep that open communication with Him? Will you find somebody to keep you accountable? Will you serve, go forth into your community so that the fruit of the, uh, of the Word of God, the fruit of the Spirit will come forth from your life and it will verify the word of reconciliation through your life? And it's all about Jesus. Here's the cool part. Salvation, Jesus. Sanctification, Jesus. Word of reconciliation, Jesus. 
glorification, Jesus. Remember that master that I've placed my life in and said he can give me a lot better life than I could ever do on my own? It's all Jesus. So the question is today, as we close and as we go into a time of prayer, the question is this. Are you going to get serious? Many of you in this place are. Many of you in this place, this is just a, a, a message that the Lord is just, just giving you that, like, well, yes, let's keep going. Let's keep going. I'm so excited. Let's just keep going. And for some of you in this place, it's like, man, I've got to start this process. It's not just... I'm going to use Jesus as entrance into to heaven and not hell, and then I'm going to go live my life because I'm miserable. You know, some of the people, the most miserable people that I've ever seen in my life are those who call themselves a Christian or, or even believe in Christ, but will never allow their life to be washed over by the, in the transformation of sanctification. Because they're miserable. The world continues to just eat at them and just, just keeps getting them down. Where are you going to be at? Because ultimately, we need to be out there sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, but our life must be continually in that process. Will you make mistakes? Yeah. Will you fall short? Will you, will you come to the point where, where you fall into sin? Yeah, there's going to be times. I'm not perfect. Brother Fred's not perfect. Billy Graham's not perfect. But you know what the blessing is? Is that the more and more you wash over this, that when you find yourself in a place that you know that you, your, your, your mind or whatever is not right, it's like, it's like instant. It's like the Lord's like, whoa. Because the Lord in you, the Holy Spirit in you, the conviction is like, what's going on? It'll break you real quick. And I love that. Because I'd rather be broken real quick than walk in it for a long time. Where are you today? 